Well, hello everyone and welcome to A Reason for Hope once again. We're very glad that you are joining us. This is a very special evening tonight. We have a special guest with us that uh, all will become clear in a few moments. We're glad that you are with us. Um, with us today, my name is Dave Robson. I will be hosting and kind of filled in the online activity there. We have Pastor Scott Richards as well, who is the senior pastor here at Calvary hey, Christian man. Fellowship. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm yeah. really looking forward to the program. Uh, it's going to be very special. It is going to be very special. Yeah. Very excited about it. We have a special guest as well, and I will introduce him in just a few moments. But before we get to that, allow me to let you know how you can join our broadcast today. As I mentioned, this is A Reason for Hope. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. We are with you Monday through Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And of course, wherever you are around the world, you can join us through the wonders of the internet. We certainly have people join us from all around the world. It's very exciting to see that development. Um, so you're all very welcome. A great place to go is calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our website. As I mentioned, it is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So a great home base is our website there. While you're there, just uh, look around, poke around, check out our website and the events going on. If you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, um, we have all kinds of groups and Bible studies. We would love for you to not be a stranger if you're looking for a place to fellowship. But if you go to the Watch Live tab right there, that will take you out to our live page. When we're off air, you will see a countdown to our next show um, and also a, a schedule there of upcoming events, not only Reason for Hope shows, but um, our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. But when we are live, you will see our lovely faces and you will be able to sign in with a username <laughs> of your choice and be part of the chat right there. And as I mentioned, I will be fielding all of those platforms for your comments and questions and all those uh, good things. So that's ccftucson.online.church is the direct link, or of course go to our calvarychristianfellowship.com website and follow that link as I aforementioned. Uh, of course we're on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or facebook.com slash ccftucson. As you know, you can like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. We'd love to reach people in your sphere of influence as well, so please share us around. And uh, you can send your comments in there as well. I'll be filled in those as they come on in also. We have an app for your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or Android, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Once again, look for that in your app store. Um, we also have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have a smart TV that has Roku enabled or one of their many devices, or you have Apple TV, you can find our channel on there and watch us on the big screen. It might be a little scary and concerning, but you can <laughs> blow us up in high def and just have at it. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. The channel there is called A Reason for Hope or youtube.com slash at A Reason for Hope 546. So if you just search for A Reason for Hope, you will find us. That's a great place to go. If uh, you would like to uh, check out our archive, maybe you missed one of our shows um, or would like to recap one of the questions that we covered or our services here, that's a great place to go. If you follow the live tab that you see right there, that will take you to the archive of every time we've been live in the past. So that's a great resource for you as well. Pastor Scott here, our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, is on Twitter. So if you're a Twitter kind of person, you can follow him, Scott R4H. He posts highlights from the show. He posts commentary on world events and news events from a biblical and scriptural and prophetic kind of perspective. Very interesting to follow along with him. He often gives updates and um, prophecy updates here on the show. You can follow along with him on Twitter as things unfurl in the world, which has been fast and furious <laughs> recently. Um, last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. If you listen to us on the radio, you are listening to 
the last show that we did pre-recorded, but everywhere else we are live, live as can be. And so uh, you'd want to use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll get to those questions on our next show. But with all that being said, we have a special guest today, the Reverend Bruce Sonnenberg. <laughs> Excuse me. I love right, that. Reverend, yes. <laughs> We're very glad you're joining us. He is the founder and executive director of He Intends Victory, uh, which is a ministry that's dedicated to educating the world, community, and the church on, on how to effectively share the hope of Jesus Christ to those infected and affected by HIV-AIDS, as well as developing assistance to those vulnerable and living in poverty around the world. Just a small undertaking there. And I see a whole host of, of experience and background that you have, which I'm sure we'll get to know you on this show. But something that strikes me is that you were the first youth minister at uh, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith. That's and true. Pastor yeah. Scott, you were also with Chuck Smith back in the day. <laughs> yes. Did you guys? Yeah, we were swapping war stories there before <laughs> yeah, we right. went on the air. <laughs> did you guys? Did, did you guys cross paths, or were you guys no. there? Uh, we were. Time? We were separated probably yeah. by a couple decades. By twenty years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, well oh, by twenty years. Wow. Yeah. And I'm the older of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to admit that. That's <laughs> yeah. Although my wife Pam was there when you were there. So okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. looking forward to meeting her. Yeah, she'll yeah. be here tonight. I mean, I know there was only a mere 40,000 people per weekend at that church at some point, so I'm sure it was easy to miss. It yeah. was a, uh, a wild adventure. Yeah. Yes, I bet. Yeah. Wonderfully wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bruce, thank you for being here. We're mm -hmm. excited to, to pick your brain and, and hear what you have to share. But yeah, and, and even mentioning uh, Costa Mesa there, uh, Bruce, you know, a lot of people are, are really uh, impacted these days by uh, the Jesus Revolution movie. Mm -hmm. um, it was such a, a bizarre experience for my wife Pam and I to uh, watch Kelsey Grammer from Cheers and Frasier yes. playing Chuck Smith. <laughs> uh, you know, seeing these people that we knew and had relationships with played by Hollywood actors. I had the exact yeah. same feeling sitting there watching the trailer, and I thought, I know those people. I yeah. knew them. I mean, yeah. And yeah. somebody's acting their lives and now the advantage that you have you know i got there in 1991 mm -hmm. uh you know and the, the dust had kind of settled from the initial uh jesus movement, movement yeah. uh events that are portrayed in the movie but you uh, were front row center i was in the middle of all that and I, the, the question i wanted to ask you was um you know <laughs> my wife um when we went into the theater uh you know i tell people i'm a recovering adult child of an attorney <laughs> so I always have this uh, kind of uh, critical thing going in my, my brain. She goes, it's not a documentary. That's it's right. a drama. Uh, you can't be picking it apart. Just enjoy it. Just take it. And yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but watching a movie uh, about people you know, yeah. even though we were removed from those events, Pam was there for those events, but, but we were removed from the events in the movie by uh, a couple decades, but you were right there. I, I wonder what your take was on the Jesus Revolution. Well, I, I thought it was pretty accurate, you know. And it's really the story of Greg Laurie and his experience at Calvary. If somebody hasn't seen it, it's a wonderful movie, and it, it gives that insight into how he came to Jesus and what happened in his life. But I think it was very accurate. I think that uh, there's a couple of things. I, I I kept wondering, where are the rest of Chuck's kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they should be running around in the background there because they were pretty active. Yeah. It was a pretty active family. Yeah. And uh, both in their own family life, but also in the church. Right. You know. Right. Uh, I was there from 1970 to 72. 
And I came in uh, through a friend of mine who's one of the teaching pastors there, Ken Gullickson. Right. And Ken asked if Joni and I, my wife Joni and I, could take over the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school class. So, you know, we, I was going to school full-time. I was working full-time. At that time, it was called Southern California College. Yeah. But now it's Vanguard University. So it was right in Costa Mesa. And uh, I, was, I was a Christian long before I went to Calvary. But Ken said, could you teach the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school class? So we thought, this is something we can do together, since I'm busy schooling, busy working, but we can minister together. So we did the fifth and sixth, and then it wasn't long before Ken came to me and said, we've decided we're taking another service, we're going to do another service. So we went from one service on Sunday morning to two services. And so he said, would you do the fifth and sixth for both? We said, okay, we'll be glad to do that. So then we went to... Three services. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Now, this was when Calvary Costa Mesa was a uh, one-building operation, right? Yes, there was yeah. one building, and then they had yeah. a, a uh, what we would call a mobile home that was there for the nursery. Yeah. Oh, and my gosh. Uh, so it was, but people were everywhere. Yeah. You know, uh, Sunday morning service. Uh, we would meet the kids at the chapel, we called it the chapel, and they would come, and we'd take the fifth and sixth graders to the apartment building next door because that's where somebody <laughs> yeah. in the church said you can use our living room for class wow. so uh, we did that for all three services but sunday school was pretty confused because there were so many kids coming and going and what do we do and chuck was plenty busy with the adults and i know some people say lonnie frisbee was the first youth minister lonnie didn't have anything to do with the kids yeah he was with the youth he yeah. was with that 19 year old and that 24-year-old kind of college career yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I went to Chuck and I said, uh, Chuck, I, th I think we could use some organization here for Sunday school. And he said, Bruce, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. had to. Not, uh, that, that the organization word wasn't used much <laughs> no. in the Jesus movement, no, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. And so uh, I, I said, all right, Chuck, I'm going to need a little money. He went, oh, <laughs> if you worked with him even 20 yeah, years later, oh, yeah, yeah. money was, oh, you yeah. know, he was very frugal. Yes. yes. And um, so he said, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little budget. So we did that, and I, I got some materials and divided the classes up. Uh, and so we met in different places. But then everything was happening so fast, and the chapel was so filled for three services when they bought the property down the street and put up this big tent. Yeah. And we were so excited to see the tent go up because... It was so big. Uh, the one in the, the movie, Jesus Re uh, Revolution, that's a small tent compared to the one that was in right. Calvary. It was a big right. tent. 5,000 people could sit in it. Wow. So um, suddenly we had the entire chapel for the youth, for the kids. <laughs> and uh, Joni and I would do a opening program, and we would uh, have, like, we called it Children's Church. And we'd sing songs and do things like that. And then we'd break down into classes. And I remember one of the guys, his name was Wally Grant. I don't know if you know that name. Wally became a very well-known um, music producer, mm -hmm. uh, had his own studio, yep. very yep. highly recommended. But he did that for years and is now missionarying in Uganda oh, wow. with his wife. But at the time, he was long hair, long beard, <laughs> and I'd ask if we could use some Sunday school teachers. And I remember Wally coming up and saying, Hey man, I'd like to teach Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. In most churches, people would go into that room and say, 
my kid's not staying in this class. But because so many of the kids were from hippie moms and dads, the kids were great with it. And he was a wonderful teacher. Yeah. And that was, uh, and there were others. I remember Mike Lennon and just others who became pastors later on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was a joyful, wonderful time. Uh, up until that point, everything was at the chapel. Uh, my friend Ken Gullickson taught on Friday nights. Uh, Lonnie taught on Wednesday nights. Right. And uh, Chuck, if I remember, taught on Monday nights for a while as well yeah. as Sundays. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> then he went to Sunday nights. I can't, I can't remember. The, 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 famous so Monday night, I can't the, remember. the famous Monday night sessions where he would sit down yes. on the steps yes. and just share the that's word. That's what he would do. That, that's oh. what my See, wife remembered most. Yeah. But we didn't get a chance to go in there much yeah. because we were always with the kids. Yeah. Well, after some time, we realized you know, there's a great need for the youth. And in fact, a Sunday night service started, and we realized there's nothing for junior hires. And Joni and I talked it over and prayed about it, so I went to Chuck and said, Chuck, would you mind if, if we started something for at least junior high kids, 12 and above? Mm. He went, ruse. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And so we started on <laughs> Sunday nights. <laughs> <laughs> so we started on Sunday nights, and it was glorious and wonderful and uh, you know, some of the worship groups, the music groups, they were starting to really rise up. Parable and uh, what what was Odin's group? Uh, uh, Mustard Seed Faith. Mustard Seed yeah. Faith. And, yeah. uh, and some of them, and uh, Love Song, some of these guys, I'd go in and say, hey, would you come down on Sunday night, since you're not playing this Sunday night down there, would you play for the youth? It was really interesting mm. because some of the guys would go and say, oh, no, we don't have time for children. Oh. And then... Then there would be those who'd say, we'd love to come. Yeah, And it was interesting over the years because I could watch these bands grow and grow. Yeah, And some of them that would not come down filtered away. Yeah, mm. But those who really said, we'll be glad to come down and play for the kids, yeah. like Odin and, yeah. and uh, Chuck Butler and yeah. uh, the Chuck Gerrards and yeah. those guys, the kids were valuable to them because yeah. they knew they were valuable to Jesus. Yeah, And yeah. of course... You know, we had 300 children there, 300 kids, uh, junior high, and we had so much fun. And uh, they would come down and play, and the kids thought they're playing for us. Yeah, mm. they were yeah. valuable. Nobody was shoved aside. Yeah, and I think that was a, a good experience for us, yeah. both my wife and myself, Joni, and a good lesson for us as well that, to to know that God cares for everybody. And no matter what age, he loves us. Yeah, and and so uh, when you saw the Jesus Revolution movie, yeah, you know my impression was, you know, and I got saved in 1973, which was kind of towards the end of, you know, the the, the main thrust of the Jesus uh, Revolution. But uh, certainly there were Jesus people and Jesus <laughs> freaks and yes. uh, folks along that line, and the hippie movement was still, you know, uh, alive and kicking. You know, the thing that I thought about it was, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I was friends with Chuck Jr. and Jeff Smith and, yeah. and Cheryl and my wife, Pam, were good friends growing up. And I was kind of like, you, where, where's the rest of the family? <laughs> uh, you know, but I had to turn that off and realize they can't tell every story and have every character yeah. and so on. But I really thought that the one thing that was marvelous about the movie was that there was that sense of the Spirit of God and how he was impacting the lives of people in a really simple but profound way. Yes. And, and that's hard to capture on film. It is. It is. And you know, back in the early days, uh, Chuck really, really wanted a balance between 
the proclamation of the gospel and the gifts of the Spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. He wanted a balance. He didn't want to uh, set some aside, and you know, he, and he didn't want people speaking in tongues during the service. They were careful to make sure that all that was done in order. Yeah. But we had an afterglow. Yeah. And uh, so my friend on Friday night, Ken Gullickson, came to me again. Now remember, I'm going to school full time. I'm working full time. We had two babies during this time. Mm. And then Ken came and said, uh, would you handle the afterglow service on Friday nights for me? And I said, I would love to do that. Oh, that's So I, I would work from 10 in the morning till uh, 8 o'clock or 7.30. Uh, and I'd get on my motorcycle and fly over to Calvary. And just as Ken is finishing his Bible study, I'd be there for the afterglow. Right. And he would... He would lead people to Christ, and then anybody who wanted to stay for prayer, I would be there, and I'd pray. I'd just pray one by one by one. It was such a great experience and a a teaching experience for me, and I think that's kind of what was caught in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think they got that sense of the Spirit of the Lord is active here and moving and doing things that nobody expected, nobody Mm -hmm. planned out, nobody figured out. This was God moving in his own way, sovereignly, yeah. to raise up people to end up proclaiming Jesus around the world. Yeah, And uh, so some people w- would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and uh, the, they, would, they might speak in tongues. They, yeah. they yeah. might not. It didn't yeah. make any difference. The yeah. Holy Spirit was with them, and yeah. they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So yeah. it was a great time and a lot of excitement. And I, I still remember sometimes you could walk into the chapel when before we moved them down to, the, and you could kind of, Smell some dirty feet. Uh, <laughs> so when they said they're staining the carpet, yeah, thought, well, yeah. that's a yeah. truth. Yeah. yeah, but it didn't make any difference. It, it was just great joy and gladness and singing, and it was wonderful. Yeah, and I think the movie captured that. Yeah, yeah, the old uh, long hair, short hair, some coats and ties. Yeah. people. That's Finally exactly right. Around. Yeah, I think one thing it it couldn't quite get with Kelsey Grammer was the real tenderness of Chuck. Yeah. I think Kelsey was very good, and but it was Kelsey playing Kelsey in a right, way too. Right. Uh, but I think Chuck is even was even more tender to people yeah. and kind. Yeah. And and it was amazing. He had time for people quite often. Yeah. I mean, if he had the time, he'd spend time with anybody who came up and talked to him. Yeah. He didn't yeah. have to have bodyguards. He didn't have to have. He was just there for people to hear that Jesus loves them. Yeah. You know, not to uh, have this conversation turn into uh, oh, let's let's share precious <laughs> yeah, stories about Chuck. <laughs> But when I went on staff at Costa Mesa, you know, as I was sharing with you before the, the broadcast, I'd been sort of hanging out with some of the heavy hitters in Christianity and having books published and oh, yeah. going to conferences in D.C. And, yeah. you know, kind of seeing how um, Evangelical Inc. sort of Works. operated. Yeah. Um, you know, this one conference I went to, it was supposed to be for the older generation to pass the baton to the up-and-coming uh, leadership in evangelicalism. But you had to... Um, to get time with the great people, you uh-huh. had to first get on the good side of their personal assistant. Right. And if the personal assistant thought you were worthy, they would kind of screen you out. And then and only then could you spend time with a great man. And, uh, you know, I just sort of assumed that that's how that <laughs> operated. Well, I go on staff at Costa Mason. One of our jobs uh, as staff people was to be sort of the, uh, the emergency pastor after, especially after third service, sure, sure. when Chuck was greeting people, if there was somebody who really needed more in-depth, uh, you know, ministry than than was appropriate aside, there, then yeah. we would take him aside. 
you know, the entire three years that I was there, I never saw Chuck hand a single person off to me. He always had time for everybody. And and there'd be a line of 150 people or so wanting to talk to him. And he would spend time with each and every one of those people till the last person went home. Mm. And, uh, you know, be there at 2.33 in the afternoon after after services. And just the the beautiful care and compassion of God that guy had in his life. Mm. It was true. And it was interesting after seeing the movie. My, I was in Bangladesh when uh, we had an invitation to go see the movie. So Joni went and saw it, and she told me all about it when I got home from Bangladesh. Well, then finally the movie came out, so we went to see it together. And as we, we came out, everyone was talking and visiting. And there's the, a pastor that I knew. We, Hey, how you doing? So we got together and talked. And he had been talking with people. and It was almost like church was just finished. Yeah. It wasn't like, let's get out of here, the movie's over, let's go home, let's yeah. go. It was people stayed around after the movie. Right. Even though we all didn't go to the same church, even though we all weren't Calvary people. Yeah. It was all out there being together. And I think that's the sense, again, of what you got back in the old days of Calvary. Yeah. Uh, people really cared. Yeah. Uh, I saw Lonnie lots of times spend time with people and make sure they were doing all right. And yeah. uh, even Romaine, yes, you know, yeah. Yeah. who Past, would salute Pastor Chuck's yes, right hand yes. man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Pastor Romaine, yeah, uh, yeah it, there was a sense of that, and and I think what I heard as we walked out of the movie is I could hear people talk and say, Chuck did my wedding, yeah, oh, Chuck baptized my son at at, at uh, Pirates Cove, yeah, mm-hmm. and you hear those people talking as yeah, you're Chuck out. dedicated my children, yeah, yeah, and but yeah. the thing was that I ta- I saw somebody after this who said, when we went to the movie and we walked out, it was as if everybody's walking out of church. And I realized they did it at that movie too, at that showing yeah. at a different theater. And, yeah. and I thought, that's probably what's happening across the country, yeah. is that with uh, the Jesus Revolution and The Chosen yeah. and uh, uh, all this, that's, and even what happened was going on in uh, back east. Uh, in, Asbury. Uh, Asbury. Yeah. All of that is showing that People are really hungry mm-hmm. yeah. and thirsty, even as Christians, yeah. for more of Jesus. Yeah. And there's this going on, and there's this wonderful rumbling yeah. underneath yeah. the hearts of people all over the, the country. And I understand they're going to start taking the film around the world now, yeah. showing it in Singapore and other places. Well, here, for instance, on Sunday, uh, something happened that uh, we've never done before. It was completely spontaneous. We are teaching through... Uh, Acts chapter 8, where uh, Philip had led all these Samaritans to the Lord. Yes. And then Peter and John came down and laid hands on people and received the Holy Spirit. And the Lord laid on my heart to say to the people afterwards, if you've never had that experience, that yeah. coming upon power of the Holy Spirit, you need to come down here. We're going to have pastors and elders up here. And we're just going to continue. You know, if the, the service is over, yeah. if you need to go, we understand. That's cool. But we're going to wait on the Lord. And if you want to do that, then that's, you know, and I'm thinking, well, maybe five, 10 people. The response was overwhelming. We literally prayed and worshiped from one service into the next service. Yeah. The band had to come up and say, well, we're starting <laughs> yeah. the next service now. Yeah. And like, okay, well, hang in there. And I'm the guy be... that gets to... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. we have people here for our third service. So. But, but, so, yeah. but such a beautiful outpouring of the Spirit of God, and yeah. I know it's not unique to us. I think the Lord is really doing a powerful work right now. Mm. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. And uh, so that was my 
view of the movie. It was, yeah. I was very pleased with it and uh, blessed. And I was gra- glad for Greg Laurie. Yeah. Uh, I looked at the uh, where it came in this last week. It was number five. Yeah. Uh, wow. Across the board this last week. Made $31 million so far. It uh, it beat out Demon Slayer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As it should. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I just thought, you know, you mentioned that. I just thought it was bitterly ironic when I went in there and the theater next door, it was Cocaine Bear. Yes. Now that, that did beat out the Jesus Revolution <laughs> yeah, yeah. for this week. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I thought that was the movie you were talking about. Sorry, yeah, I'm completely, yeah. yeah. So you, you, were, you had this, this wonderful experience. But in 1990... Uh, the Lord led you into a really powerful ministry that, like a lot of the works of the Spirit of God, seemingly started yeah. small, but God had bigger plans. Yeah, I left the desert. I mean, I left uh, Calvary. Chuck asked if I would oversee what became Maranatha Academy when I graduated from college. And uh, I said, I didn't feel called to do that, Chuck. And I said, I really believe, we really believe I'm called to be a pastor. So we ended up going to the desert. So I said, thank you, but uh, uh, gave him a hug, and uh, I saw him many times. We actually had one more experience with, uh, at, at Calvary that was very touching to us. Um, there was a, every summer they did a family camp, and this one particular summer it was Mike McIntosh and Don McClure a teaching, and, uh, and so Chuck needed someone to take the kids. Yeah because they had about 125, 150 kids. So he called me and he said, Bruce, <laughs> would you like to take our family camp? And I said, Chuck, I would love to do it, but I have to take time off work to do it. So that means I, I, can't, I have to pay my rent. So I, I would need you to help me financially. He says, how much would you need? And I said, $100. That was what I made in a week. <laughs> so uh, remember, this is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he said, oh, at first he yeah. said, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I said, okay, God bless you. <laughs> and he called me back later and he said, all right, I'll pay you $100. And anyway, uh, and I said, you can't charge me for the camp then. You can't charge me for going to the camp. He laughed and he said, no, I won't. You get to go free. And uh, there's another couple, Tripp and Susan Kimball, uh, who were uh, overseeing the nursery. I said, we need them to come. Anyway, long story short, we went to the camp. And two wonderful things happened. One was my wife Joni taught the children the song Day by Day. Oh, remember yeah. from God's yeah, Spell God's a long time yeah. ago, Day by Day. Yeah, that day. was like one of the first uh, godly songs I learned yeah. after I got saved. It was. <laughs> and the movie wasn't always correct biblically. No, no. But the yeah. song is really from a, an old uh, a British hymn. Right. And so Joni taught the, all these kids, and we went down and sang this for the kids. And, I mean, for the parents. And they absolutely loved it. And it was a real... It was like everybody was together around the campfire, mm. all 750 of us, uh-huh. and it was a sweet time. And then we went back, and we did a, an, a little altar call with the kids. And one person who came up and said, I really want to pray to know the Lord, was Cheryl, Cheryl oh. Smith. And, uh, oh. and so from that time on, whenever I saw Chuck over the years, he always was very gracious to me. He'd always say, Bruce, so good to see you. And uh, he, he remembered what had happened under right. that ministry. But we left Calvary, and we went to the desert, and I pastored there for 10 years. And uh, many wonderful experiences. We had a retreat ministry and a church. And where was this? This is in a place called Sky Valley. Okay. It's uh, near Palm Springs, okay. Palm Desert. Okay. The desert. Yeah. We yeah. learned to love the desert <laughs> yeah. there, actually. 
And uh, just like here, you have a beautiful desert yeah. here. Uh, so we were there for 10 years. The church was wonderful and very successful in, in that we were able to evangelize and share the Lord around the world with many, many people. Uh, a couple of Calvary pastors came out of there, Bill Welsh and, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, from Calvary Refuge. Yeah. He was my assistant pastor for me for four years. And Gerald Hagerman, yeah, sure. Gerald yeah. was my assistant yeah. for four years. Oh, and wow. Warren Duffy yeah. was there for, yeah. with us for two years. And so these guys and others went around the world, and it was wonderful. And then uh, the Lord put it upon our hearts to move to Irvine, California to start a church. So in 1982, we left the desert, went to Irvine, and started this wonderful little church called the Village Church of Irvine. Mm -hmm. In the process of being a pastor, then throughout the next seven or eight years, AIDS hit the news. Yeah. Everything was HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And the Magic uh, Johnson news and all of that. And that even came later. Yeah. And this was back and all kinds of things happened. But the Lord, and I'll share more tonight about what happened, but the Lord really got my heart. At first, I didn't want anything to do with people with HIV. I thought, well, they did it to themselves. It's it's Mm. just God's punishment. And I was wrong on both counts. Mm. Uh, It is a consequence, or it can be a consequence, of living in a sinful world. But uh, at that time, it was everywhere. Today, people don't even talk about HIV here in this country. We don't even say anything about it. it would, everybody just takes a pill and that's the end. Mm. Well, around the world today, uh, HIV is a pandemic. Mm. It's a major pandemic. There's still 34 million people living with HIV, and another 2 million people are infected every year. Mm. So it's still a problem. But at that time, life began to, uh, things began to happen. And so in 1990, I started a support group called, and we called it He Intends Victory for people with HIV, Christians with HIV. Yeah. And I thought, well, it can't be that many. But because I was on the radio, at the end of my radio program every week, I would say, invite people to church, just like you do here. Sure. And I would suggest any people who are watching this program, come to church here. You'll be blessed. You'll be happy you did. Uh, but... I invited people to church, and then I would say, and if any of you are HIV positive, uh, we'd love to have you join us on Tuesday night. This is a meeting just for people with HIV, but we'd love to have you join us. And people started calling me. And it wasn't long before we had 10 people in a support group. Mm. Uh, Christians living with, you know, not everybody has grown up in a perfect life uh, where Jesus is Lord all the time. Yeah. So some of these people were former drug addicts and some were former homosexuals, yeah, and some were former uh, party people, but they ended up with HIV, right? Mm. And that's how I got into He Intends Victory, and we started some thirty-three years ago. Yeah, wow. yeah, and that started with one support group, but it's a lot bigger than that now. Yes, uh, we have five hundred and twenty-three support groups in fifteen countries, mm. and we've found that the support group is a great base to uh, educate people about HIV and then to help them to help each other learn about what HIV and AIDS does and how we live with it, how we um, live without it, what we do to bless those and help those around. And you also do uh, a really interesting work uh, I, was, uh, I saw with the AIDS orphan sponsorship. Yes, we do. Because we have- a lot of people don't realize someone dies from AIDS, especially in a third world country, yeah. Uh, there's dependents there. There are. Yeah. Have you been to Africa? I have not. Uh, you should come. You should come with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, All right. It's a date. <laughs> you get, uh, we, have, we work in 10 countries of Africa, three countries of Asia, Central America, 
I don't know if you know Clive Welsh. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Clive, good works, dear friend of ours. Yeah. And Clive is yeah. uh, works with us uh, as well. He's our area. He's our country director yeah. for Belize. But uh, nonetheless, we we provide uh, all this encouragement and education and so on. So we have 523 support groups, and they t- we encourage them to teach each other, help each other, and grow together. And so some of our groups are 15 people, some of them are 600 mm. people. But they're all HIV positive. Mm. And then they have families, uh, most of whom we serve today are widows and orphans. Mm. So we started an AIDS orphan sponsorship program, like Compassion International, except right. all of our children are either infected or affected by HIV. And this is not just, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, uh, I would say material support. No. This no. is, this is uh, sharing the word and discipleship as yes, well. Yes, it is. We... <clears throat> Last year, I'm blessed to say we had 10,000, I think it was 10,277 people give their lives to Christ Jesus. Mm. Mm. Uh, so uh, part of our real goal is to lead people to Jesus. Once they see that there's hope in Jesus, then we, want to, we don't leave them there. We want to educate them and disciple them. And so we do a lot of teaching and educating them that way. Uh, but uh, there's a great, huge need yet amongst people in the world to hear the gospel especially those who are facing their mortality. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, there's a real difference, and, and maybe some of our listeners, especially here stateside, would, would kind of have a hard time understanding this. Here in the United States now, it's like, well, um, you've been diagnosed with HIV, hey, you can take a pill. You can even take a pill before you come down with HIV yeah, to, to, prevent, it. Yeah. to prevent you from getting it if, if that's the, uh, the, the path that you're on. Um, it's not that way in the third world, is it? No, not at all. In most of the developing countries, and we work in the poorest countries of the world, and, and you know from working in areas that are poor, there's even levels of poor, poverty. Mm-hmm. And in uh, all, all the countries that we work in, uh, in, amongst the poor, people with HIV are the lowest. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're HIV positive in most countries of Africa, you can lose your job. Mm-hmm. They can fire you. If the, if the boss finds out, you can be fired. You can, your children have to leave their school. They can't go to that school anymore. And sadly, if your pastor finds out, you might have to leave the church. Wow. And that's happening today in 2023. We're not talking about 30 years ago. Now, is that because of superstition? Is there any, any grounding in reality behind all of that? Or? Fear. Fear. Yeah. Fear. Uh, early on, we ran into this. If you're HIV positive, you did something to get it. What did you do? You, know, you had sex out of marriage? Ooh, I don't want to talk to you. Mm. Oh, you, you had sex with a, a man? Oh, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, you used a needle and drugs? Ooh, stay away. And so many in, in the church took on that attitude, mm. even here. Yeah. So yeah. stigma was here, and it took years to change the laws, to make it legal to... Dis, not dis, discriminate and so on. But in most countries, it's still, stigma is a huge problem. So instead of telling my pastor I'm HIV positive, I keep it to myself. How were you infected? Oh, my husband infected me. Oh, he died. And he left me with four children. So I'm infected and our youngest baby's infected. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's where much of the world is even today. Mm-hmm. So... We provide often where we everywhere we go, 
Uh, in each country, our country directors from that country speaks their language, knows their culture, but we try to provide people who will stand up and say, I'm HIV positive and I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. He has saved me and given me hope and a new life. Mm. That in itself springs forth in the heart and touches people's hearts. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's interesting we started out talking about the Jesus revolution. Yeah, It was almost like uh, the uh, hurdle that Chuck had to overcome mm-hmm. to reach out to hippies or the, right. the, the famous... Uh, they're barefoot on the carpet situation yeah. Yeah. where, uh, you know, no bare feet in the sanctuary sort of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Except this takes it up a notch, doesn't it? Does it does, because what these people have is a fatal disease. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm glad to say that in most countries, the, the medications are now available. You know, they're very expensive. Uh, they're, even in this country, they're still about $2,000 a month. Mm. That's a month. Yeah, for your medication with insurance, but yeah. insurance pays yeah. for it, and if the insurance can't, yeah. the government pays for it. Yeah, but in other countries, there's no insurance, there's no government to, but the the U.S. government, thankfully, has participated in something called PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for People with HIV and AIDS, and that emergency plan, because it, it comes in right now, it helps you, mm-hmm. and it was started by uh, President George Bush and has been carried over from every president since. And we're very grateful because it's provided the medications for 21 million people. And that means these medications are literally saving the lives of people. The challenge is this, and I'll I'll describe it to you. I've got a little old lady who's now a grandmother. She's HIV positive. She was infected by her husband who died. Her children have died. Now, there's a lot of cultural reasons for this. I can explain them later if you'd like, but there's cultural reasons why HIV spreads so quickly, in Africa especially. But I'm a grandma. I've got four kids that are five kids, six kids that are my grandchildren. All of their parents are dead. My husband's dead. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I'm a grandma. I'm 65 years old. I, what can I work? Well, I've got some land. I can grow things, but it's hard. So I've got enough food now here in my hand. I know, I'll just, I have enough food to give each of the kids a little, and I'll skip. I won't eat today. And so the next day comes. I got enough beans and a little rice. I'll give it to the kids. I can, I can go another day without, but I have to take my medication every day. And that's problematic, isn't it? It is problematic, because that medication will just burn a hole right through your stomach. And so then you start having stomach aches, and oh, I can't do that, and I don't have enough food. But, and so they're in this dilemma of not having enough food, but having the medication. But if they stop taking the medication, eventually they'll get sick and they'll die. Mm-hmm. So then we have, if you can believe it, 15 million children who are AIDS orphans in the world. Wow. Mm. Wow. 15 million. Mm. And two and a half million of them are HIV positive. So in this dilemma, um, your ministry comes in yeah. and identifies these people mm-hmm. uh, and, and then... What happens to help get them on their Okay, feet? we provide uh, a, this support group set, setting. And uh, we have our country director, and then under country director, area directors. And then we have our group leaders. So I'll, I'll give you Florice, for example. She's in Bungoma, Kenya. She's got 15 support groups under her. And she teaches all of the group leaders how to uh, communicate about HIV and AIDS. Well, the people in the groups then they talk to each other and they talk to their neighbor and the neighbor says, I'm HIV positive too. She says, come with me. I've got a group you can come to. 
So the group starts to grow even more. And so each group now, she's got, she's got 309 people that she helps oversee. And what do we do? Well, we don't just give education, and we, we do share the Lord, and we, but we give more than that because they get hungry. Yeah. So we have food programs mm. that help these widows especially have food to take while they have their medication. Mm-hmm. We have uh, livestock programs where we give people goats, sometimes pigs, yeah. sometimes chickens or cows, mm. but we give them a goat. A goat will change their life. Mm-hmm. They get a goat and they soon have two, three goats. Yeah, but our milk. Rule, and, uh, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. And our rule is, if, you, if we give you a goat, when the goat has its first kid, you've got to give that goat to somebody else in the group. Mm-hmm. And when that goat grows up and has its first kid, you got to give that goat to... So after 18 months, everybody in the whole group has a goat. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. And then they get three or four goats. Uh, I think of a woman under uh, Florice's leadership there who uh, has got six goats, sold them all, and bought a cow, oh. a milking cow, which was calfing. Oh. So she got two cows. <laughs> and now she's milking cows, and yeah. she's, got, she's selling. She's got food to buy. Yeah. She's got money. She, I mean, those types of things. So we, we have food programs and livestock programs. And then I take a team every summer to Africa, to one or two countries in Africa. And we do medical outreach. We do uh, direct care outreach. Uh, so you don't have to be a medical person to go on our team. But we try to provide ways to express to people, we love you. Yeah. And Jesus loves you. We're glad to be here. Yeah. And so we hug them and we give them clothes. We, it's just such a joyful time. But you're talking about people who, if they have meat once a year, they're doing well. Mm. And generally, on a, in a day-to-day basis, they may have tea in the morning for breakfast. They'll have no lunch. And they may have a little beans and rice for dinner. Mm. And that's every day if they can have enough beans and rice. So there's a lot to do. And there's a lot of other things. We provide hoes and machetes and uh, counseling. Uh, I think of a girl by the name of Resty. Resty's now one of our country. uh, We have two girls who are country leaders. And you may wonder why we have girls who are country leaders or women. Um, Women have a different role in Africa. And it is very much a paternal or you know country or tradition. Uh, so having a woman who can lead in that sense, she's not a pastor, but she's a leader. Uh, but having a young woman who's a leader uh, helps parents and guardians see women have value. Mm. Uh, in one area that we work in in Maragot, uh, our area director came to me and she said, you can't believe how people are blessed by having a woman lead. They realize we don't have to marry our children, our girls off now when they're 10. Mm. They, mm. So they, their tradition is marry them off because they don't get educated. But if they get an education and they go to school, wow, they can do something with their life. Yeah. And, and we've taught them not, uh, that uh, female circumcision is detrimental to girls. And, I mean, there's so many things that... In the muscle areas and so on. Absolutely, layer upon layer. Yeah. Uh, Do you get any pushback, by the way, from Islam and you know the followers along those lines? Uh, Depends on what country. We we do uh, support some people that are like right on the edge of where things get really dicey in like Nigeria and places like that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Depends on what country. Uh, Jennifer and Rusty Viri, who work with us, uh, we went to Indonesia, and they get a lot of pushback there. Mm. But some countries know, like Uganda. It's on the edge of stuff. Yeah. And so 
every year we have between 140 to 150 Muslims who give their lives to Christ. Wow, fantastic. And so then we have to be wise on how they educate and learn about Jesus, how we disciple them, but they become evangelists among their own people. Yeah. yeah. And so um, we don't get a lot of pushback because we're really helping people. So this is a ministry that's not just in the third world, right. but you're also doing things here in the States. What is the difference between ministry, third world, as you've described it, and, and, and how do you minister to people here? <laughs> yeah, here, it's an interesting thing because here people have everything, so much. Yeah. Um, we brought our country director from Uganda here once. I, I, I was interested in his response. What did you think when we were, I was taking him to the airport to send him home? What did you think about being here in America? And he said, everything is easy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get food. It's easy to go on the internet. It's easy to get fuel. It's easy to go to school. Everything's easy. Mm-hmm. Man, I thought he hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. It is easy. We don't see it as easy. Right. Sometimes it's hard to, to make sure our kids get to school or we have enough food, but it's all relative to our culture. Right. But I think here in the U.S., we've really focused on mostly education. Uh, you get people who are suddenly, I'm HIV. This happened last week. I had a call from someone. I just found out I'm HIV positive. Okay, in that situation, I mean, that sounds to me like like we call them a divine appointment. Yeah. yeah someone finds exactly. out they're HIV positive. Mm-hmm. They've got to be in shock. They are. Um, how do you reach out to somebody in that circumstance? Generally, they think they're going to die within the first week. Um, it doesn't happen. Uh, usually, they have a l- much longer life. But in this instance, the guy said, I'm a Christian now, and I, I need someone to talk to. So uh, not, not a problem at all. I called up Ron, uh, Ron Mag- Magno, and uh, Ron is a pastor who's HIV positive mm-hmm. in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, Assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. So he's on our board. I said, Ron, I've got this young man that needs to be guided through this. And so Ron gave him a call, and they talked. And Ron said, this is what to expect physically, but I want you to help you, help you spiritually as well. Mm-hmm. And so we'll keep in contact. You can call me anytime you have a question, but you're going to need to start taking medications. And be careful about who you tell your HIV positive to. You don't have to tell everybody. It's not something everyone needs to know. Right. Uh, so learn as you go through this. And uh, I think people who become HIV positive, in a sense become medical experts on their own condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they learn terms they never imagined. Uh, in our country, most HIV, again, is back up in the gay community. In Around the world, it's not that way at all. Mm. And even today, people here think, oh, it's a gay disease. Not at all. Yeah. It's just that it's easily spread in the gay community here. Yeah. Uh, but around the world, most of it's very much a heterosexual. And as I said earlier, most uh, those who, of those who are HIV positive are widows and orphans. Mm, yeah. Now, the, the, the issue of, of pushback, we could understand that, say, in a, in a Muslim mm-hmm. uh, Christian context and all that. Do you experience pushback uh, from people in the church when they find out that you're ministering to not, HIV yeah. positive people? Not so much anymore. Was uh, that an issue initially? Uh, absolutely. No yeah. question about it. Uh, <laughs> do you know what the NRB is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. National Religious Broadcast. Yes. yes. So yeah. we realized early on, 
if you want the church to hear what's happening, go to the people who speak to the church. So we went to this conference, and uh, there was a radio personality called Tim Barons. Yeah. And yeah. Tim's a great guy. He's an evangelist. Yeah. But uh, he took one of our young women. She was from Calvi Costa Mesa who had HIV. She was a party girl, gave her life to the Lord, got married, had a six-year-old son, was watching TV, and it said, you should be tested for HIV. She thought, I better be, I should be tested. Mm. So she went and had a test, and she was HIV positive. Mm. Thankfully, her husband and her son weren't. Mm. But she joined us, and so we took her to the NRB. We, we got a book called He Intends Victory about people living with HIV. And so Tim took her around to people, to people to talk to. And he would introduce her and say, this is my friend Tamara. She's a beautiful girl. Yeah. And, and so people start to shake hands. And as, you know, Tim, I don't know if you know Tim, but he's, as they start to shake hands, he'd say, she's HIV positive. And people would, mm. at that time, pull back. They didn't want to touch her, hug her, anything mm. to do with her. Mm. And then in the course of that time, a man by the name of Louis Palau, Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful yeah. evangelist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was the main speaker, and what people didn't know was his nephew was HIV positive, mm. and we had been ministering to his nephew who was dying, mm. and uh, but he got up, and he talked about reaching out to those hurting in the world, and he said, "You all should be going by our booth, mm. because this is where Jesus meets hearts." Mm. And I'll tell you, from then on, people started coming to us asking for her books, et cetera. Early on, I made a, a church policy for people with HIV. What do you do if someone is HIV positive and they come to your church? And we distributed about 70,000 of those to 70,000 churches in the United States. And I think that we had a real impact on helping change the attitude within the church that people with HIV are people. Yeah. And they need Jesus. Yeah. And if they haven't met Jesus, you have a chance to help them mm. to know who he is. And if they've met Jesus, they sure need a hug. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So and, that's and that's a step of faith for some people. Right. Even so, today. So even today, yeah. you still have some people who think AIDS is a gay disease. Oh, it's gone. It's over. It's now, nice. how do you respond? Say, you know, the internet. I mean, anybody with yeah. a keyboard can. Share out of the, the yes. storehouse of ignorance, uh, but you know how do you how do you uh, deal with somebody who says, "Well, you know, this is a judgment from God. It's right yeah. out of Romans chapter one. Yeah. They're receiving the the due punishment for their behavior yeah. here." Uh, how do how do yeah. you tackle that question? That's not hard. Apologetically, not hard at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, I say, "Oh, so you're saying that uh, prostate cancer is God's judgment on men?" No, no. I hope not. No, I don't think that. <laughs> oh, you're saying breast cancer is a judgment on, on, from God on women. No, but you're saying HIV is a... I said, no, we live in a sinful world, and we have the effects of sin all around us every day, even if we haven't sinned. Many of the people who are HIV positive didn't do anything to get it. They're born that way. But even if they did something to get it, God still loves them. Right, he doesn't tell us have nothing to do with the leper. He, you know, in, J- in Luke chapter five, uh, the leper came running to Jesus, fell at his feet, and said, "Lord, if you will, you can make me clean." And I always like to say, the Bible says, and Jesus reached out and touched the man and said, "I am willing," but he touched the man first. Yeah, mm. yeah. We want 
So many of us as Christians want them to get healed first, then we'll touch them. Yeah, That's the opposite of Jesus. Yeah, And so uh, he calls us to reach out. If people don't want to do that, you don't have to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Yeah. So it's, it's not God's judgment on people any more than anything else is. It's we live in a sinful world. And, you know, I've had people say, I, I, should, have had, I should have HIV. I should have. I, was, I lived such a sinful life. I'm so thankful I don't have it. And then I've had people say, I don't know why I have it. This little girl I was telling you about, Resty, uh, if I can take a minute or mm-hmm. half a minute. Oh, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Resty uh, grew up as a, an orphan. Both her parents died of HIV, but she was not HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And so then she went to live with her grandmother when her mom died and grandfather. Terrible, terrible people. Uh, at one time, the grandfather took a machete towards the grandmother because he was so angry at her. She put her hand up and he cut off four of her fingers. Oh, my gosh. And she had to go to jail for it because she was fighting with a man. Mm. That, that's the challenge in Africa. Mm. even today. But finally, Grandma and Grandpa died. So now Resty's 11 or 12 years old, and uh, we take her into our program. We get a sponsor for her who loves her. The sponsor just loves her, gets her into school. She's living with a, uh, a pastor and his family there. She goes to school. She becomes educated. The sponsor helps her all the way through high school. She goes into college. She goes into university. She's a sharp girl, straight-A student. Mm. In her third year of university, somebody breaks into her room and rapes her. Actually, three men raped her Mm. and left. What do you do with that? Well, after two and a half months, she knew she had to be tested for HIV, Mm. and she's HIV positive. Mm. Her only sexual experience is three men raping her, and she's HIV positive. You think she's angry? She was hurt. She was confused. We got her into some good counseling, and she's not angry at God at all. She said, this is my life. God has blessed me with the opportunity to tell people, yes, I've been raped, but Jesus helped me through it. Mm, Wonderful. And so we were in a prison in October uh, when we were uh, doing our last outreach. And we're in a men's prison and these are all, this is a support group of people who are HIV positive in our prison. And Resty shared her testimony. And afterwards, one of the men said, come here, please. So she went over. He said, I've never told anybody this. Now, he's in prison for rough stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, I've never told anybody this, but I raped a woman once, and I feel so ashamed. I've become a Christian. <laughs> And he said, I'm sorry for crying. I cry all the time anyway. (laughs) I cry all the time. Um, He said, there's no way I could find that woman. But would you forgive me on her behalf? On her behalf. Oh, my God. I said, Resty, what did you do? (laughs) I said, what did you say? She said, I thought about it for a minute. I looked at him. I said, I forgive you. And I hugged him. I said, Resty, you're a saint of God. Mm-hmm. And so she's not angry with God. She knows that we live in a sinful world. Mm. She's a pure girl mm. who loves her Lord mm. and now uses this as an opportunity to share Jesus with everybody she can. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, you know, speaking of 
of outreach. You're doing this incredible ministry, but you know, as you mentioned, um, to a large extent, demographically, the gay community is affected by AIDS more yeah. than the general population. Uh, what has the gay community's response been? What kind of encounters have you had, say, with some of the organized factions in the, the gay community? Well, have they been uh, open to this? Have you been able to build bridges? If we, you can make your answer 30 seconds, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, no. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, yeah we, you, you got about a minute. We so, have, yeah. especially in the past. Today, we don't have much contact with the gay community. But early on, the gay community recognized, even though we're evangelical Christians, even though we believe that uh, homosexuality is a sin, but that God loves all of us who are sinners, even though all of that, they saw that we were doing something to help people with HIV. Mm-hmm. And they saw that we didn't condemn people with, who were gay. We loved them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know that we prayed with a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. But we loved them into the kingdom. Yeah. And so they recognized. So we became friends with ACT UP which is a major yeah, group yeah. that caused a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. But they were our friends yeah. wow. and so on. So we yeah. were blessed. Well, if you've been blessed by this conversation, can we encourage you to come on out to Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson tonight? Uh, we're going to have the uh, opportunity for Bruce to be able to share uh, just some, some other wonderful testimonies are going to be shared about how God has made a difference in people's lives. That's going to start at 6.30. You can watch online if you're outside of the greater Tucson area. But come on out, get a chance to uh, meet Bruce and find out more about He Intends Victory. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.